0: Welcome to the Wealth Studying Podcast. This is episode 439. Today is December 20th, 2023. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, hey, in today's episode, I have an excerpt for you from a presentation that I did this week. And in this presentation, I'll be reviewing investing themes for 2024 and giving you some of my re- review and commentary on that. This is also up at the YouTube channel, so if you want to watch it and follow along with the slides, go ahead and check that out. And so without any further ado, here's what I think about 2024. Hey, hello, good evening. My name is John Pugliano. I'm the um, host of the Wealth Studying Podcast, and I'm the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. i got just a brief presentation for you tonight. I'm going to talk quickly through several of these slides. We'll have time for questions and then I'll be around all evening as well if you have any additional questions. Um, But what I wanted to just give you a little information on is the upcoming investing themes for next year. And these are not my ideas. These are just things that I pulled out of what the um, investment industry is talking about and what's in the media. I'll give you some of my thoughts along the way. The bottom line, though, is we're really looking at two scenarios, as, as we always do, right? It's a glass half full or half empty. You know, Are we finally going to get the long-awaited recession, or is this the roaring 20s again and we're going to have a gigantic bull market? So that's what we're going to talk about. And here's the big consensus. Everybody is now predicting that there's not going to be any recession and that it's a soft landing. Uh, and this is really reinforced since last week when the Federal Reserve came out. and was much more dovish than usual. Uh, we got to take all this with a grain of salt, though, because these exact same people last year were convinced we were going to have a recession this year. I was one of them, right? I still am not convinced we're not going to have a recession. So uh, no one can predict the future and definitely not Wall Street. The, the big thing to consider here is that GDP this past year, when everybody was expecting a recession, was 2.8%. That's gross domestic product. We're only predicting 1.5% next year, so a real slowdown, almost half as much growth next year. But at the same time, they think that corporate profits in the S&P 500 are going up double digits, like 11 to 13%. So um, the thought is that because of productivity improvements, you know, with the people that have been laid off, and with all the artificial intelligence and the advancements in technology that we're going to somehow make uh, make all these earnings up even though we have a slowdown in growth again I'm not sold on that th- that's happening and what really concerns me is if you know all of our earnings right now are based on that double-digit growth and so if you look at price per earnings ratios on the S&P 500 we're at about 20 with that kind of growth what if we only get 5% growth right now that just you know the market would have to possibly adjust 15 or 20 percent to compensate for that so that's what really worries me, but what we have seen through 2023 is a rolling recession. You remember, about this time last year, housing went into a recession. Then it recovered. It was about a little earlier than this time last year that all the tech companies had really sold off because they were worried about higher interest rates and you know, uh, you know Google, all these companies. They didn't crash, but they went down 10, 15 percent. They obviously all came back. Um, much more than that this year, so we're just seeing that rolling recession, which will probably transition through uh, 2024. Again, what concerns me the most, and why I've been really bearish this year, not, I would haven't been bearish, I've been just very concerned about the overall economy, mostly in cash, in money market funds because they're paying a real rate of return, which we haven't seen in about 15 years. But the bottom line is that leading economic indicators have been declining for 19 consecutive months. We've never had that kind of a decline in leading economic indicators when we weren't in the midst of a recession. And the only thing that's really kept us out is the low unemployment rates. And you know, we look at all the people that um, retired early or never returned back to the workforce from COVID. I think that's what kept the unemployment rate low. Um, immigration's back up, people are returning back to the workforce. So we'll we'll see if, um, if unemployment stays at where, where it's at. The Fed is predicting increased unemployment. And generally, whenever you get a bump in unemployment, no matter where you start, when the rate goes up, you generally see a decline in corporate profits and we go into a recession. So I haven't given up my hopes for a recession yet. Hey, John. On that last slide, productivity and layoffs, is that a, a politically correct for massive inflation? That's, uh, no, that, that isn't not so much forecasting inflation. That's more about profits without people. So uh, we're, we're firing people and we're getting rid of the most expensive people and digitizing everything else. Um, so the next, next big theme though in terms of assuming that we're not going into recession next year, which virtually no one thinks we are, is stick with the winners. Okay, the winners have been successful all this year, stick with them, that's a magnificent seven. You know, Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, those guys. Um, the, there's a school of thought that says that they're just gonna keep growing. Um, artificial intelligence is going to just create a lot of profits in that sector and that's going to trickle up and down the supply chain. Uh, the other big winners this year have been companies like um, Novo Nordis and Eli Lilly with the weight loss drugs. And again, that's, you know, people have extrapolated that out and uh, really even gotten to the crazy side of it saying, you know, people are going to lose so much weight that uh, Coke and Pepsi are not going to sell as many products and. You know, airlines are going to make bigger profits because people are going to get skinnier and it's not going to cost as much to fly them around the country. I mean, they, they just make all these crazy assumptions. And again, I'm, I'm not a believer in any of that. I've, I've been around long enough to know that everything takes longer to get adopted and accepted than, than what Wall Street thinks it does. Um, so I just look at valuations. They're extremely high. Companies like Microsoft, um, around 30 times earnings and really not that large of, of growth projections to uh, to cover those type margins, so that that worries me. And as far as that growth being overly estimated, I have on there. You know, name name the craze. If you think back through even just the last few years, all the things that were going to happen, all the the buy now pay later's that were going to just go to the moon. Um, what are some of the other things over the last couple of years? It was just. Uh, yeah, GameStop, not not so much a technology that was going to be a comeback, but I mean like 3D printing, you know, 10, 15 years ago, that was going to be the rage. And it, and it obviously is, right? It's had a huge impact, but none of those companies that were skyrocketing 15 years ago, uh, it was probably only three of them left and their their sales aren't anywhere near what the projections were. So all this stuff takes way more time than, than uh, Wall Street thinks about. So the other side of the, the theme, though, is if you're not going to go with the winners, then you want to go with this year's losers, right? So you either stick with the winners or you go with the laggards from this past year, and we're going to cover those. Although, I have to update this, you know, in the last seven or eight weeks, there aren't too many laggards. We've had a really big catch-up in the um, small-cap stocks, mid-caps, and the other you know, 493 stocks in the S&P 500. So, one of the areas that's done horrible for the last three years is bonds and fixed income. And no one here is really old enough to um, be in the category where they really worry about fixed income, but older people have always been sold that bonds are safe, and as you get older, you shed more of your portfolio in bonds. That's a total lie, and people have learned that over the last three years. There, there's no safe investment. Okay, Every investment comes with risks. A 20-year Treasury has lost money for the last three years. And I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I think it's something like it's down 45% from its high in like 2020. So you, people can and do lose money. And that 20 year treasury, that's in US treasury bonds. What people don't understand is when bond when bond yields go up, right, when interest rates go up, the principal value of bonds go down. And so if you hold them forever, you get your money back, but you're losing because inflation is is not keeping up with with that lower interest rate, and if you sell them early, you take a loss so um, but bonds have done horrible for the last three years, so now they're predicting bonds are going to do really well. twenty year treasury is up ten percent in the last month again because they think interest rates are coming down next year. I would advise people at all costs to avoid what they call high yield bonds. That's a euphemism for jump bonds. okay they're high yield because they're like subprime loans in the real estate market years ago or high yield because nobody really wants them that that um understands the risk reward ratio so stick with investment grade and i think you'll be fine the other thing to remember is that again interest rates are probably going to come down next year it's an election year they want to uh, they want to spur the economy we also have declining inflation you know, calling it disinflation because it's not that we don't have inflation we just don't have as much inflation so it's disinflation so rates will come down but the federal reserve only controls the the front end of the curve so like the overnight rate and they set that right now it's at, it's at about 5.35%. So the, the the fed reserve the federal reserve rate is higher than you're getting in your money market funds or any of those kind of things because they're trying to uh, you know dampen down the economy. What they don't control though is the long end of the curve, things like the 10, 20 and 30 year bonds. And we're running the risk now of them if they, if they reduce interest rates enough, we could get the problem that we saw in the 1970s where we just had runaway inflation. The Fed is conscious of that and I don't think they wanna create that kind of inflation. So they may pull the front end of the of the um, bond yields down. We won't get as much in our bank accounts and things like that. But mortgages, uh, 10 year and longer treasuries, I think will stay fairly high uh, because you think about it this way, right now, and if any of you looked at trying to buy a house lately, I know a couple of you have just recently bought one, there's, there's a shortage of housing, right? So housing sales have tapered off because interest rates have gone up. It's made the overall cost of housing go up. If they lower interest rates, the people that have the money to buy the house will just pay more for the house because there's a shortage of houses, and that just spurs inflation. That's what happened in the 70s, and that's the conundrum they're in now. Okay, other laggards that are people are betting on, and again, this is just kind of they've done they've done badly this year, so they're going to do good next year. That's the philosophy. Healthcare and utilities are, are top of line on that. And the thing about healthcare and utilities, if you go back about two years ago, eighteen months ago, when everybody was worried about the inverted yield curve, they told everybody, "Well, we'll buy utilities, buy healthcare because they do well in a recession." Well, we didn't get the recession. And people overpaid for healthcare and utilities, and so this past year they've come down and haven't performed well, and now they're just telling you to buy them back again. They're still overvalued. I don't. I, I look through these every day. And I screen for uh, price per earnings ratios, growth ratios. I don't see any bargains out there. These things I believe are all overvalued. Um, the one area that was looking pretty good seven weeks ago is the equal weight. Version of the S and P 500. That's a ETF. If you follow ETFs, that's RSP. That was a pretty good deal about seven weeks ago. As of today, it's not. It's not good again. Um, I would wait to buy that on a when it goes drop if it drops back down to say a 50 or a 200-day moving average. Um, the, the, the advantage to the equal weight is is you're, you're um, taking the cost of the market and spreading it all out, out of over you know 400 over 500 stocks. It's been that magnificent seven that has done so well over the last eight to ten months. The rest of the market hadn't been doing well, so the theory was, you know, buy the equal weight, and as the other, you know, four hundred ninety-three stocks improve, you'll you'll get that momentum. A lot of that's already taken place over the past seven weeks. Another area that's done horrible for probably the last better part of two years is small caps, that's small capitalization companies again the, the theory there is well as the economy gets better these guys have been laggards they'll start to make more money if interest rates come down their borrowing costs will be more reasonable because you know smaller companies don't they have, they have more borrowing issues than a larger company would and and while that's all true you know it really depends on where, where are we at in the business cycle we'll talk a little bit about that more as we go but the big the big concern i have with small caps even though they are still undervalued. So if you look at their price per earnings ratios and their growth ratios, they seem you know, comparatively undervalued, especially when you compare them to the S&P 500, you know, but maybe they're cheap for a reason. You're getting close to 40% of small cap stocks on the Russell 2000 are not profitable. Okay, Now, you think about this, these are companies that over the last 10 years, money's been effectively free. Right? They could borrow money for virtually nothing and they can't make money. So if they couldn't make money over the last 10 years, how are they gonna go make money if interest rates stay at at these higher percents? So that really worries me. And of those as well, you've got about 30% that can't even make their debt payments. So we've got a lot of zombie companies, again, this is because really since 2008, 15 years, uh, we've held these interest rates low in the last 10 years, we've taken them down to near zero. These companies have all survived through that, but I just don't see how they survive in the future. No, they're not going to let 30% of the small cap companies go bankrupt, right? We know they won't do that. They'll come in with helicopter money and save them. But, you know, will they let 5% go bankrupt? Will they let 10%? I just don't want to own those companies if they do. So So I would avoid the Russell 2000. Again, if you track ETFs, that's IWW. I wouldn't buy that. SPSM is small cap companies, but they're screened for profitability. So there's only about maybe 600 of them. That's where I would put my money if I was going to invest in small caps through an ETF. Personally, I would buy individual stocks. though. I'd pick the ones that I think um, had their high, high productivity and low debt. Okay? And that's really my mantra for really forever, but especially as we go into 2024. I want to own a company, high productivity, think not a lot of employees, small amount of employees, and um, very profitable, and, and no to little debt. That's really the companies that I think are going to survive any type of a downturn. They're equally going to do well in an uptrend. International emerging markets. Again, this is another one that they performed pretty badly. Just in the last few months, they've done better, but they've done poorly. Um, emerging markets have been down probably for 10 years. If you look at a chart of China, um, China really peaked in 2008. The Chinese large, large cap companies peaked in around 2008. Think about how long that is um then they crashed somewhat after we did um they they've recovered over the years they recovered pretty well during the early part of the pandemic when well, we were shut down but they've gone right back down again they're reopening last year about this time last year everybody was telling you buy chinese stocks the reopening you know they've been shut down for two and a half years on covid it's a place to invest that lasted for about three months and then it's just it's down probably 35 40 from there so i'm skeptical that these companies or these countries that haven't done well in the past, I don't think they're necessarily going to do well now. Um, Germany, all over the news last week, the German DAX—that's kind of like their S and P 500—it hit an all-time record high. Well, not if you look at it in dollars, because think about over the years how much the euros come down. So, if you were buying the DAX through an ETF like EWG, you're still about 18 percent from the past high. So a lot of this is funny money. You have to, when you're investing in foreign companies, you have to always be very conscious of the currency exchange. And right now, as many, we were just talking about the BRICS nations earlier with someone. Um, whenever you hear someone talk about the United States, how bad it is, how horrible our currency is, how we're not going to be a reserve currency status, all these things, someday those things may come true. Bottom line, the United States is the best house in a bad neighborhood. Right? We're the tallest midget. We are we are always going to be head and shoulders above these other countries. Look at a company, like, country like Germany, because they lost their tie to Russian natural gas. They're facing the energy crisis that the U.S. faced in the 1970s, and that's when we had all that hyperinflation, um, all the all the things that that put our country in a tailspin for 20 years is happening to Germany right now. Um, they'll probably work their way out of it because they've survived. I mean, you look at Daimler Benz and Siemens and you can list all the German companies they have been around for hundred years they'll eventually survive but they've got some rough I think rough times ahead of them. Also when you're, when you're looking at ETFs in general but specifically when you're looking at international ETFs and emerging market ETFs, dig down in and see what you're really invested in and what kind of trade volume they have. A lot of these ETFs are, have very narrow holdings you know maybe they own 50 positions uh, you know, it's not like they're owning hundreds of stocks and some of the smaller countries like earlier in the year people were really excited about places like the Philippines and Vietnam yeah those markets did really well but if you look at the ETFs they're very thinly traded and they're fine when things are going up the price goes up really good but then all of a sudden when things get bad and you go to sell it there's no buyers and so you can really have the bottom drop out um, below you really quickly something else has worried me all year is geopolitical issues any kind of black swan events? You know, again, the market's doing fantastic now. You go back about eight weeks ago, and Israel gets uh, attacked by Hamas. Um, it seems like there's just something going on every couple months. Uh, attacks in the Red Sea right now. Uh, it wasn't much publicized, but about four weeks ago, there was another pipeline in the North Sea that was—I uh, don't know—it wasn't blown up. They, they think. Uh, a Chinese ship came in and dragged, it, dra, uh, dragged an anchor across it to, to, to break it um, with both. And they've, they've had disruptions of internet cables in the North Sea as well as another gas pipeline. So there's just a lot of hot spots around the world. And, you know, I'm not worried about a major meltdown or catastrophe, but just all these little things add up. And when you're paying 20 to 30 times earnings for some of these companies and you look at the geopolitical risk, I, I'd like to keep at least some of my money in cash and collect the five, five and a half percent you're going to get in money market funds. Uh, one final thing on international markets, GDP next year for global markets is predicted at 2.7 Okay, that's, that's like nothing. You know, China used to grow at, at uh, 12% and their, they're, they're, China's number now is about five and that's their official number so they're probably really only growing about three. But you know, the whole, if you think about the whole world's only growing at 2.7 next year, um, how are we going to get these double-digit margins? Uh, and you know that the, you know, the numbers that we get fed by all these organizations, whether it's the, our inflation numbers or Wall Street numbers uh, with growth and things, they're all fudged, right? It's all balance sheet engineering. But you, you can look at real market conditions by looking at how things like commodities are selling and right now gold is going up, oil's coming down even though Saudi Arabia's cut back on production so oil prices are coming down, copper prices are stagnant, and gold's going up. So that tells me that people are really worried about either inflation or some type of uh, black swan event that's driving the fear up with gold going up because at the same time if it was just a devaluation of the dollar or if it was inflation, oil and copper would be going up as well and you're not seeing that and kind of speaking of gold, a little fuzzy chart here. Um, there's available on my website if you want to get a clearer version of this. But this is looking at 2008 financial crisis, and this is the late late part of the business cycle, and this gets back to where we are right now. You can see in this is summer of 2007. Gold. This is gold. This is the S and P 500. Gold and the S and P 500 were stable and then started to go up, and then the economy cools off, right? And this is long before we really knew of a housing crisis. But you can see the market was going down at the same time gold was going up. So someone knew, right, the smart money knew that there was going to be a problems ahead and the market was going down. That was the late side of that cycle. It was the end of the, house, of the housing crisis before there was a housing crisis whereas it was advancing. After the housing crisis was over, and this is 2012, so a good two years after the the bottom of the market, a lot of people were still holding gold and you can't see the numbers here, but this is like 35%. Over a two year period, gold went down 35%. So when people say, you know, oh, you should hold gold because it always keeps its value, that's not true. But you should also not hold the S&P 500 because you saw on the other slide, it goes down as well. And it went down about close to 50%, 47% during the financial crisis. So you get disparities like this So you want to own gold maybe early, but not too early. And then you want to own stocks later because stocks are going to vastly outperform it over time. The big problem is, is that none of us knows exact timing. And this, so this is during the actual financial crisis, everything went down, right? Gold went down, S and P 500 went down, oil went down, uh, copper, everything goes down during a recession. And so that takes me to my big question. I really don't care about what the investing themes are next year. People tell me, buy lagger, just stick with the winners. My question is, where are we at in the business cycle? You know, are we, are, we, um, are we coming off the end of some big one and headed to that recession that we haven't gotten, or are we past the recession and we're going to have the S&P 500 shoot back up again? The fact that gold's going up right now concerns me. If, if gold continues to break out and go higher, that leads me to believe that we're still on the left of the panic side. Because once, once you do get well beyond the recession fears, gold drops like a rock usually. So that concerns me. And um, that's what I think about every day. So that's it in a nutshell. What questions do you have for me? Well, that'll wrap things up. Until next time, as always, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best returns.